I'm going to ask you to take your Bible today, and we're going to be opening it to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. The context here is Jesus in Matthew 24 is teaching about his second coming, and then he provides a few parables to illustrate that. In the first 13 verses of Matthew 25, he shares the parable of the ten virgins. And the point of that parable is you need to be ready for when Jesus comes back. I think the point of our parable today, verses 14 through 30, is you need to be busy in preparation for him coming back. Let's look at verse 14 and following. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. He would receive the five talents, one at once, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, You delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much more. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your town in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And in my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, I pray for your understanding now over these I think a familiar parable for us. Help us to see the truths that you want us to do. And then may you help us to apply these. In Jesus' name, amen. In the winter, this past winter, our family went to Florida for vacation. We were there for a handful of days. And and while we were at Panama City, I couldn't help but take notice of the beach homes there uh, on the beach. They were all up on stilts, or these wood pilings, right? You probably know what I'm talking about. If you have a a bulletin in the sermon outline, you see a picture of what that looks like. 
they are supports. They are intended to protect that home from the elements of the storms, of when the water gets high and the waves come crashing on to the beach. This morning, as we look at this parable together, what I would like to do is take a different approach than I normally do. I see within this parable a number of key truths that we not only see in this parable, but we see throughout the scriptures. I'll I'll use the word doctrines, actually, here. That word doctrine, I hope, is not one that's old and out of date for you, or one that's not useful to you. Rather, for us believers in Jesus, these word doctrines or these truths are kind of like those pilings. They're kind of like those stilts that you can build your life upon. And these six wood pilings, these doctrinal truths, I think we see within this parable today. We can reflect on, we can meditate on, and we can keep coming back to that we might have a stable life until Jesus returns. So let me give to these to you one at a time. This morning I want to focus on these six doctrinal beams. Here's the first. Each follower of Jesus has been redeemed. Look at what it says here in Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. Do you see the word servants there? If you had a Greek New Testament, you would discover the word doulos. Doulos. One pastor in California, Pastor MacArthur, did a season of studying this word doulos, and it always means the word slave. Now, understandably, in our country, the concept of slave has a very negative stigma attached to it, and it should. But this is actually the word that should be translated here. In in Matthew 25, verse 14, it should say, called his slaves. Most of our translations, even including my English standard and a King James, I understand, uses the word servants. But there are six or seven other words in the Greek that could be used for servants. But when the word doulos is used, it always means slaves. Now, there's two things that I know about slaves. One is a slave is one who was purchased. A slave in the first century, scholars tell us, there are around two million of these slaves during the Roman Empire. A slave would have been either traded for or purchased with some money. And in this parable, that's a good picture of us followers of Jesus. We may not have been purchased with an oxen or a donkey or some gold or silver coins, but we were purchased with something much more precious than that, with the blood, with the life of Jesus Christ. In Mark 10 Verses 45, he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, each of us found ourselves as slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. 
And our freedom was purchased with Jesus' blood. But listen, we haven't been set free to do exactly what we want. We have now been set free no longer to be slaves of sin and Satan. But according to the Scriptures, we're actually now slaves to God. We're slaves to righteousness. Here's the second thing I know about a slave. Is a slave is ruled by his or her master. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I remember early in my Christian life, uh, Pastor Jim encouraged me to memorize Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have become set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I met many of you that have been set free from a particular sin. You've been purchased. At one time you were ruled by anger. At one time you were ruled by greed, by fear, by jealousy, by unforgiveness, but you, you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you are a living testimony that you're no longer a slave to that sin, but now you are a slave to God. So here's the first pillar that we are build our lives on from this parable, is that each follower of Jesus has been redeemed. Here's a second one. God owns it all. And he asked the redeemed to manage his blessings. Look again here at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? Not the slaves, but the landowner. Because the slaves don't own anything. The landowner has taken the time in his generosity to entrust his property unto them. Just a couple of days ago, my two oldest boys are working through a class for their schooling um, that the Dave Ramsey curriculum for a math class. And so they, on finance, and so, so they said, Dad, can we interview you? And one of the questions they asked me, and I might not get it word for word, but it was something like this. Dad, what is one lesson in your life that you learned about money that has made all the difference? And I said, you know, boys, I'm really glad you asked because that's very easy for me. You see, early in my life, I thought every time I got a paycheck that that was my money. When I got my first car, I thought that that was my car. And when I got my first Jordans, that was my only Jordans. <laughs> that was my shoes, okay? But something happened when I began to read the Bible. I remember Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means the whole earth belongs to God. And everything on the earth belongs 
to God. And that was so liberating to me to realize this isn't my pair of shoes. This isn't my car. This isn't my money. This all belongs to God. And he is allowing me to be a a manager of it. Across the street, there is a bank. It's the bank that our church uh, does service at. It's where our family does. And imagine that you have been employed as the bank manager. And you are responsible to, to look over all this money that comes in and out of that bank. Now, does that money belong to you? Absolutely not. But you're responsible to manage other people's money. And there's something freeing about realizing that everything belongs to God. In August, I met my brother down for a brewer game. He lives in North Milwaukee, and I, I picked him up, and, and we visited a little bit, and it was time to go to the game. And we're like, well, who, who, who should drive? And my, my brother's like, well, you know, I just bought a new Tesla. And, and what I have found out is that if you park in a, like a big public area, that sometimes people take their key and they'll just go, go across it and maybe out of jealousy or envy. And, and I said, you know, I've never had that problem. <laughs> How about we take my old Honda? Because I, I don't have that stress at all about that. Now, there's certainly a benefit to owning your own home. But there's also something about renting, isn't there? When you own your own home, that might be a good financial decision, but it comes with a lot of headaches, doesn't it? And when you rent, when you are just managing something, when the toilet goes out, when the furnace goes out, you talk to the owner and say, hey, you need to fix your toilet. You need to, you need to fix this furnace because it's not mine. It's actually, it's actually yours. So the second truth that we see here is that God owns it all. And he asked the redeemed to manage his blessings. Now we'll see this word in our parable. In verse 15 it says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Now what in the world is a talent? The word talent is actually just a weight of measurement. And as I studied this this week, there does not appear to be a consensus about what exactly that is. And so I'm just going to default to the note in my Bible. And this is not inspired, but it just says a talent is 20 years wages of a laborer. And so I did a quick search on what is the average salary of a a laborer in Wisconsin. And it's around $50,000 a year. So do the math with me. 20 times 50,000. And what do you have? A million. All right. So one talent is roughly about a million dollars. And so to one slave, he gives $5 million. To another, $2 million. To another, $1 million. I think what we want to see from this is these blessings, these gifts that he has given to us, are very precious. Now, it might not be just money, but it could be time. It could be possessions. It could be the abilities, which leads me to the third, the third just doctrine that I think we see in this passage, and that is when one is redeemed, he or she receives a spiritual gift. And I think that's what we see in this passage, that these These slaves 
have been entrusted with this talent. And, and Christians, we are entrusted with something called a spiritual gift. So let's listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Well, what is a spiritual gift? It could be teaching, serving, encouragement, evangelism, leading, wisdom, mercy, giving, knowledge, faith. And how is it that we learn what our spiritual gift is? Well, there wasn't the internet back in the first century, and there wasn't these paper-pencil inventories that we do for spiritual gifts. So we would try to learn what those gifts are and then experiment, lean into different areas of ministry. And when we find an area that we are fulfilled in and fruitful in, we can ask people, do you think this is my spiritual gift? But these gifts are not to be given for selfish reasons, but they are to build others up. And not all of us will have the same gift or ability. Look what it says there again in verse 15. To each according to his ability. And so the master said, this over here is a $5 million, $5 million type of guy. This guy over here is a $2 million type of guy or girl. And, and this over here is a $1 million type of guy or, or girl. One Bible president said it this way. God has eight-cylinder Christians. God has six-cylinder Christians. God has four-cylinder Christians. And it doesn't matter how many cylinders you have. What does matter is are you firing on all cylinders? So let's consider the fourth thing then in our pillars, these things that we're building our life on, and that is Jesus is returning for his redeemed. As we go down to verse 19, it says, Now after a long time, the master, that's the landowner of these servants, came. And this is certainly a picture. It's the context here of Matthew 25 that Jesus is going away, but now he is coming back. And this is just more than some sort of sentimental slogan for us. This is a historical fact in the future that we are anticipating. He says this in John 14, 3, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Or Acts 1, 11, just before he ascends, there's an angel and he says, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Or Hebrews 9, 28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. And this was all to be motivation for the slaves in this parable. They know that their master is coming back. But as followers of Jesus, this is also to serve as motivation that we would use the gifts, the possessions, and the time that he has given to us. Which leads me to the fifth. The fifth of these pillars of doctrine, and that is those who are redeemed will be judged. Look what it says here in verse 19 and following. Now, after a long time, 
the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And when he received the five talents, came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. And he also had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Has it occurred to you that even the redeemed will be judged? Wait a minute, Chad. I, I thought when we celebrated this baptism today for for a little Dottie, what we were celebrating is the fact that she will not be judged for her sins, that she has been set free. She has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and she will not have to give an account that she would go to hell. Well, that, that part is true. But there still is a judgment for Christians. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Or Romans 14, 10 and 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So the question is, what are we doing with the gift, the possessions, the time that God has given to us? Know this, that we will be judged. This past year was a year in which our oldest was preparing for his driver's license test. And I was kind of the assigned parent to ride along with him. And it seemed like you have like Speaking of five million, about five million hours that you have to do with your, with your child of practice. And as we were getting ready and we were scheduling this test, I said to my son, I said, you know, there's two different ways that you can approach a test. The first is in fear and apprehension. Like, I'm not exactly sure what's going to take place. And I'm afraid this test is going to expose what I don't know about driving. Now, that's one approach to a test. But there's a second approach to a test, is you can know already what you're going to be tested on. And you can be preparing so well that when you take that test, you're actually excited because it's going to give you an opportunity to show how you've prepared for it. And the same is true, loved ones. If you are redeemed there will be a test. You will be judged. And why not prepare right now for it so you can actually look forward to it rather than look to it with fear? I'll just give you the final then, final of these doctrines. And that is one's works prove that they are redeemed. In verse 24 it says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. I've read commentaries this week as to why this person hid that $1 million that they had. And I heard a number of responses. One, it was out of motivated, out of envy. Here was a guy that only got one million, and here was someone who got two million, and someone else that got five million, and he was just kind of stewing in this. So he said, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to bury it. There was another commentator that said, no, he had this complex of feeling inferior because he wasn't as gifted as the others. So he said, if I try, I'm going to fail, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, there was others that said, and, and if you look at the text here, the next verse and verse 26 says, His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, that the real answer for this was that he was lazy. And I think you got some scriptural support for that. But I think the real point that this parable is making is that if you have faith, You have what? You have works. And what we see here, I think, is a person that might have belonged to a local church, but he did not belong to Jesus. Listen to what the response is in verses 28, or rather 27 through 30. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. And to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a person that might have said that he was a follower, but he had no works to prove it. And as the rest of this chapter, Matthew 25, unfolds, Jesus enters into this conversation about the final judgment. And one of these basic works is something simple that anyone could do, feeding the homeless. If there's a person that is hungry, giving them food, if they're thirsty, to be able to give them a drink of water, if they're naked, to give them some clothing, and if they're in jail to visit them if they're sick to go visit them and and at the end of this chapter verse 46 it says and these will go away into the eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life so our works prove our faith it could be within our attitudes of the fruits of the spirit being worked out It could be in the obedience to God's word or the way that we love others. But this is how James put it. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Let me just leave this little one Sentence application for you in the conclusion. Be faithful to use what you have been given for God and others. You just let me take a few moments now and share my own little testimony about this parable. 
I've shared with you before that when I was in my mid-20s, graduated college, came to Green Bay, began to attend Highland Crest, and I think it was under Pastor Jim's preaching where I realized that being a Christian was not just simply being forgiven, but to be redeemed was to be purchased. It was to come to this realization that my body, my life, is not my own. And when I came to that realization, it's like, well, then I'm a slave to what God wants me to do. And God had me in a wonderful church where there were some men that says, well, let me show you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You share the gospel with others. There was a man named Larry that said, on on Tuesday night, we're going to the truck stop. Meet me there. He gave me a stack of literature of the gospel. And what we do is we hand these out with these audio tapes and we invite people to this this church service we're going to have back in this little uh, meeting area. You were there, Paul, and you played guitar there. And, and every week was a little bit different as people would come and, and there would be some singing and there would be a testimony and there would be some preaching. And it was there where I realized this is what the Christian life is supposed to be like. You're supposed to be sharing the gospel and facing your fears. Sometime after that, I was sitting in the same area where some of you are and there was someone that stood up right here and said, We've been working through our, our, our church membership role and we've been looking at the Sunday school classes and we've got a gap. We need someone to teach junior high boys. And I didn't know any better. I thought, well, now that seems like a great idea. And I thought, well, why wouldn't I? I'm just going to be available to what God would have for me. And so I went up to talk to the pastor, and I said, you know, if you want me, I'll I'll do it. And I would work from midnight to 8. I'd get done at 8 a.m. on Sunday. I'd go home, and I'd shower, find whatever clothes I could, put them on, and I'd pour out my heart, as clumsy as you can imagine, to these junior high boys. Then I'd come up here for the worship service and and sleep during the sermon. (laughs) That's not true. Then something else happened. Someone said, you know that we have classes on Wednesday night. Chad, would you be willing to teach one of those classes? And I said, well, my life is not my own. If you think it's a good idea, of course I will do that. And so I just gave myself all into that class. And then something else happened. Do you know we have visitation on Thursday nights? Yeah, people come and visit our church. And then what we do is we go visit them. Now, you could do that 20 years ago, but I don't know that that works very well. Today, But what we really need is someone to administratively set all that stuff up. And what you're really doing is helping people go out and share the gospel. And I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't I do that? So whatever opportunity, as small as it was, I said, of course I will do that. And I'll give all of myself to that. And then something happened that was so remarkable that I think about it, I think almost every week of my life since. I was sitting right over here on a Sunday morning and I sensed that God was calling me into the ministry. And I thought, why in the world would you take someone like me? But my life is not my own. And and if you would want me, I will try to be as faithful as I can to this prodding that you are giving to me. So yes, of course I will do that. So I moved down to Fort Worth, at that time one of the largest seminaries in the world. And, And there were a whole bunch of preacher boys there. And First Baptist Dallas was not asking me to come and preach, nor was Prestonwood. In fact, no one was. 
And I sit in chapel and I would just say, God, whatever you want of my life, I will go. And so someone came and talked about going to China. And I said, God, if that's what you want, I will go like right now. And so I went. Someone come and talked about India. We need people to go to India. God, if you want me to go to India, I will go like right now. And I did. And then and someone said, in spring, or spring break this year, what we want is some of you guys to go and do preach revival meetings all throughout the country. And I'm like, I am so ill-equipped for that. But God, if you want me to do that, of course I will do that. Why wouldn't I do that? My life is not my own. And so I would go to upstate New York and preach here or there and, and just, just make a mess of things. But I was doing the very best that I possibly could. No one would ask me to preach. Why would they? So one day someone comes in our evangelism class and he was a trucker. And this trucker says, you know what? We've got an open door to Covenant Transportation. It's a company of, of, of semis. And there's a terminal in South Dallas. And, and what we really need is some Christians to go there and just share the gospel with these truckers. And I'm like, well, no one else is asking me to preach, so maybe I can go there. And so on Sunday afternoons after church, I'd take a group of guys with me, and we'd go over to this terminal, we'd walk into this lobby, and likely there'd only be a handful of guys watching TV. We would invite them to our own little church service, and then we would go literally knocking on doors of these trucks and say, in a, in a couple of minutes, we're going to have a church service right in there, and we want to tell you about Jesus. And you know what happened? A lot of these guys would say, well, it's a lot better than what I'm doing right now. Of course I will come. And we would just share the gospel. And I'd sit down with a trash can and a lid. And I'd put my Bible on there and preach to these, these truckers. And some magnificent things would take place just simply for being available and, and faithful. I got to the end of my seminary. No one was asking me to preach. I needed an internship. And I heard about a nursing home. The church I attended had a Saturday night church, even a Saturday night Sunday school. And that freed me up on Sunday mornings. So for virtually the last year of my seminary, you know where I was? I was at a nursing home preaching to people that didn't even understand what I was saying. And I was pouring out my heart. I preached multiple services. I preached to the people that understood what I was saying, and then I'd go to the Alzheimer's unit. And that's the truth. There were times I was preaching and people would literally, it was so bad, people would come and grab my notes for me and like, will you, will you shut it down for now, right? I guess what I'm saying is I was, just, I was just, God, whatever small task that you would give to me, I would be faithful. And I would give it everything that I got. When I graduated seminary, I don't know why, I don't know how, but someone got my name. And I went to a church in Michigan. And we were interviewing, we were talking, we were visiting, and at some point someone said, you know, we probably should have your resume. And here's the point. What I have found in my life is that I am faithful to whatever small, what appears to be meaningless task that there is, that God will always open another door. And that's what he has done. And so I go to this church in Michigan. Many of you have attended small little churches where you don't have a Leon, you don't have a Randy, and you don't have a, a Kevin that do a lot of the work in the building, a lot of that falls on you. And the people in that church 
don't know the times that you clean toilets and mop floors and the things that you do, but only your wife and only God does. But what I'm saying to you is I was willing to do it. I, was, I tried to be as faithful as I could. And that door closed and we came back here to Highland Crest. And I said, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. I'll try to be as faithful as I can. Many of you have observed that when there was a staff change and we, we needed someone to go into youth or we needed someone to look over families. I said, I will do that sometimes, not even in my gifted area. But I said, I'll be faithful and I'll do, I'll do whatever I, I can. And so what I guess I'm saying to you today is hopefully you've not only heard a message preached to you this morning, but, and I'm not the only one, but hopefully you've seen this lived out in some flawed way in front of you. I think this message can not only be applied to us individually, and it certainly is supposed to be, but I suppose the reason I'm preaching it today is I'm, I'm influenced by a conversation that I had with someone recently about this passage. About a month ago or so, I was talking with someone that as a, as a partner and owner of the Lombardi Center and a building over here. And you all know, that's no secret what's going on over here with the Packers buying up all of that. It's no secret they would love to see it happen over here as well. And Pastor Jim, I think, had this a number of times. Would you be willing to sell? And now those conversations are coming to me. And, and I remember sitting down with this, this dear guy and saying, can I, can I just give you an explanation to why we are reluctant to sell? There's a message that we are to convey to people. And can I share that message with you? And so it just opened the door to be able to share the gospel with him. And I said, can I, can I just share with you a parable that Jesus taught? And what I did is I walked through this parable of talents with him. And you see, I said that not only can be applied to an individual, but I'm thinking of it for Highland Crest as well. In some way, in God's providence, somewhere around in 1956 or so like that, the forefathers of our church purchased this land. They probably had no idea that this farmland would become as valuable as it is. But I think over the years, we've felt a certain responsibility to be good stewards, managers of this land. And we have a very unique location here. Now, I didn't say this then, but I think about it today. I love sports and I, I go to a Brewer game, and there's no church in that area. I love the Bucks, and I go to a Bucks game, but as best I know, there's no church in that area. And I love the Badgers. I'm not planning on going into games this year in light of last night, but I, I love going down to the football as well. And as far as I know, there's no, there's no church in that area. We are a unique, we have a unique location here, don't we? And maybe I'm a little biased to say that we may be as unique of a church as there is in the state of Wisconsin for our location. And I told this man, I think we have a responsibility to maximize that. He said, I understand. So can I just give you one point of application right now, not just for you individually, but for our church? Here's what I'd like us to do. It's something we've never done as best I can tell. Two weeks from today, is the Packers' first home game. I don't even know who they play. Could we have our normal format of Sunday school from 9 to 10? Could we do our worship service from 
start at 10.15 like we always. But could we do an abbreviated service and go from 10.15 to 11? And let's just, let's have a service in which we are singing. Let's have a service which we are being preached to and equipped. And then from 11 to as long as it takes, 12, 12.30, take advantage of our location and go out and share the gospel. There's a sign-up sheet in the hallway there, four different things. One, maybe just be a part of a prayer team that will go out through our parking lot where people are already parking on our spots, engage them in a conversation to say, how can I pray for you? And we'll have a tent set up right here, a prayer tent, where people will literally walk by us and say, is there anything we can do to, to pray for you? A second team for like food or water, where we'll actually be a blessing the people that are taking the parking spots over here and see if we can be an encouragement to them. One tenant over in the Lombardi Center has asked for permission because they're having a little block party over there. I said, sure, we'll meet you over there. Let's visit together and we'll talk. Could we have a third team that would go out and just say, I want to be gospel track hander-outers. We, we, we do this thing where we take a roster and we will go across the street with thousands and hand those out to people and, and, and participate in that. And then we're just going to need a fourth team that would just be minglers, that would just go out and be around in our parking lot and just introducing ourselves to the people that are walking right by and right in our parking lots. Could we do something like that? It would be a way to maximize, I think, our location and do something a little bit different. I think that's what makes us unique. But what I would appeal to you is say, let's, let's leverage that two weeks from today to do that. So there's a sign-up sheet out here at the end of the service. You can sign up for that. And over the next two weeks, you'll hear about that. So two weeks from today, we'll do a bit of abbreviated service. And we'll go out. And we'll do something unique for us. But something that we have in our wee house because of our location. So whatever God has given to you, God has given to us this location, but whatever God has given to you, use it for a blessing for him and for others. Let's play. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we have. As we look at this passage of scriptures, we see We see us. We don't just see servants. We see slaves that have been purchased. Not with gold coins and silver or oxen and donkeys. But with the precious blood of Jesus. We see us ourselves where we've we've given up the freedoms. And we say, we belong to you. You are our master. We see that everything belongs. Everything belongs to you. And we're just mere stewards. We're reminded that Jesus is coming again. And we want to keep our eyes to the heavens. We're reminded that there will be a judgment that comes. And help us not to be afraid of that. Help us beginning today to say, here are the resources, the time, the talents, the gifts. They're yours. Allow me to leverage them for an eternal treasure. Remind us then. That it's not enough just to say, I have faith. But that faith must be proven by fruit. 
by works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's just sing this song of invitation. If you want to come here and pray at the altar, you can do that.